We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 5 tonight, continuing on in our series on Sunday nights about being justified by faith and the things that justification, that being saved, uh, accomplishes for us in our life. Uh, We saw our peace with God last week in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was number one. And now we see the second, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith into this grace uh, in which we stand. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. Uh, many of today's reformed thinkers and theologians would like to turn this passage around so as to say that we have access by grace into this faith. But that isn't what the passage says. Uh, There is no disagreement really between this passage and the classic statement of salvation in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Both of these passages speak of the grace of God uh, which operates in our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift. It is not of works, and uh, certainly it is by the grace of God. Multitudes of passages tell us that. And uh, yet Ephesians tells us that our salvation is by grace through faith. And uh, Paul says it in Romans chapter 5 that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And uh, many have said to us that grace is uh, God's part of our salvation. uh, That it is by grace. Salvation is by grace. It is by God's grace that salvation comes to us. Through faith, that is man's response. And how many passages talk about how that we receive him by faith. We are saved by faith. And over and over again, the Bible speaks to us of our faith. Some accuse us of by saying that salvation is by faith. That, uh, well, y'all believe in works for salvation. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody tell you that. Because if you look back in Romans chapter 4, you would see that Paul presents... Uh, justification by faith as the direct opposite of uh, being saved by works. We are not saved by works. We cannot save ourselves. And by faith, that means we trust in God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is the very essence of the message of salvation. And believing that is uh, not uh, believing that somehow Uh, We are saved by works. We are not. Faith is not a work. Uh, Faith is the opposite of works. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time tonight on uh, that uh, theological view of these things because we want tonight just to look at our access unto God. And I'm so grateful tonight that uh, we're able to talk about this great truth of our access by faith through Jesus Christ into this grace in which we stand. And the first thing that we'll talk about, of course, is that God is accessible. God is accessible. Because you're saved 
because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have access to God by faith, through faith. Access to God. God is accessible. <coughs> this speaks to our ability to enter into the presence. And it might be uh, we have access, we could think of it as access to the governor. We have access to a king, if we had a king. We had access to a president. I remember visiting the White House during the Clinton presidency many years ago. We went through that uh, tour, we went through, and it wasn't long before we figured out, you know, you could go to the White House, uh, but that did not mean that you were going to get to see President Clinton. Uh, there was a, a sign that we saw in several places, and it said very clearly, no admittance. Just in case you thought that that was for people who weren't from Arkansas, uh, there was a couple of Secret Service guards there in suits, and I'm sure they were completely armed, although I couldn't see. Uh, that They were there to enforce the rule. Uh, you couldn't go any further than that place. You could tour the White House. But that didn't mean you have access to the president. Now, later on, I found out that there were a lot of people who did get access to the president. In fact, some of you might remember, most of you probably don't, but some of you might remember uh, uh, that there was a lot of, of, a, of issue made by the fact that people were making some rather large campaign donations and they were getting to then spend the night in the White House. And some of them even slept in the Lincoln bedroom and other places. You know, they, they were able to go uh, if you gave a lot of money uh, to the campaign. And, and so there were some people who did have access. And they had access because they were connected, because of political connections, uh, because of campaign contributions. Uh, folks, it's just a fact. You can Google it if you've never seen it. I don't bring it up to disparage anybody. I'm just telling you. I didn't have access. Some people did. And they had access because of political connections, because of who they were, because of how much money they had. I want you to know tonight that our access to God is by grace. God is accessible. God, God, God is accessible. But he's not accessible because of who we are. He's not accessible because of what we've done. He's not accessible because we give a certain amount of money or because we are connected to him in some special way. We have access to God because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on Calvary. We have access to God. God is accessible. Now, in the Old Testament economy, the Jews were very familiar with that no admittance sign as it related to God. God brought them out of Egypt, and he led them to Mount Sinai. And notice what the book of Hebrews says about that. And this was, in a sense, the birth of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. The law was going to be given. Uh, that pillar of fire and smoke that was leading them in the presence of God was upon the mountain. But notice what God said there. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. That was Mount Sinai. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. 
And so terrifying was the sight that Moses, even Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Mount Sinai was a scary sight. Smoke that was billowing from it. The fire that burned. And the commandment from the voice that spoke to them. Do not touch this mountain. And if you do, you'll die. The presence of God, you see, with His people then was marked very clearly with a sign that said, no admittance. I'm holy. You're not holy. That's what God was saying. No access. Now Moses would have access to God and there he would intercede on behalf of the people as did Aaron, his brother. They were succeeded by the high priesthood that bore Aaron's name. Uh, They also had access to God. There would be a time when the uh, presence of God would move from the mountain to the tabernacle and later to the temple. And the chief feature of the Old Testament temple and tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. This was a place that was marked off from the rest of the tabernacle or the rest of the temple where the Hebrew people in the Old Testament went to worship. And it was marked off by this veil Uh, Don't think about a veil, that's what it was called, a veil, but don't think about a veil, some kind of translucent thing that the bride wears. No, not that kind of veil. This veil was 10 inches thick. It was 40 foot high, and it had a cap on it. Inside it was black as midnight. No light came from the outside to the inside of the Holy of Holies. No one except the high priest was permitted to go in there. And then only once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Think about it. And the entire time that Jesus was on this earth, not one time did he ever enter the Holy of Holies unless he was the one at the time of his crucifixion who went and tore the veil in two from top to bottom. Uh, That story is told in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51 if you want to read about it because the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to top, we can understand that, but from the top to the bottom. And if Jesus did that, then that was the only time he went there. But we don't know specifically that he did. But I'll tell you this much tonight, if he didn't do it himself, he had it done. Amen. (laughs) Can you agree with that? Why? Because he wanted the Hebrew people to know. Can you imagine what the high priest and the priest in the temple must have said as they walked in there and they saw the Holy of Holies and the veil was ripped in two and there was access to everybody. Can you imagine how they were shocked? But it gave them a very powerful message. It was an object lesson, if you will, telling them there is now access available. The writer of Hebrews, of course, would mention that in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, when he said, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that is to the holiest of all, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, he said, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. 
Brothers and sisters, tonight we have this marvelous reality to enjoy. We have access to God. But not only do we have access, and we say God is accessible because we've been saved, but the second thing is likened to it God is available. God is available. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Wherein we stand. Inherent in this idea of access is the concept of an introduction. And Simon Peter would use this word in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened. By the Spirit. Every time we see a traditional wedding uh, where the father of the bride usually is the one who walks the bride down the aisle and presents her to the uh, man that uh, she's about to marry who doesn't deserve her, by the way. Uh, Every time, every time. But that happens. And that is exactly, in a sense, what is happening that time and Peter describes when he says that he might bring us to God. He brings us to God and presents us to God, and he did that by the cross of Calvary. That's what Simon Peter tells us, that he was put to death, uh, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And it wasn't just his death that did that, but also his resurrection that did that. You see, Jesus lives. He lives. And he lives in to bring us to God. And because of that, he says, we don't just have an introduction, but we have standing. We have standing. This is grace wherein we stand. Uh, Those of you who have been in the military, I have not, but I've heard about it, uh, know about standing orders. Uh, That is, orders that are given and they're always in effect. Standing orders. We have a standing order in Jesus Christ from God the Father, and that means that we not only have access, but that God is available to us through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has full access to the Father, therefore He grants us through Him, through His flesh, through the living way, Jesus Christ gives us access to the Father, and it means the Father is available to us. I once heard a pastor tell a story about taking his two sons to a county fair out in Texas. He carried his brother's two sons with him, so he had four boys that he took to the fair by himself. It was and is the case at county fairs that you have to buy tickets for all the rides. And so he said, I bought a roll of tickets and carried my four boys, and here we went around the fair going from ride to ride to ride. He said, when we got to the Tilt-A-Whirl, that was always one of my favorites, by the way. Love the Tilt-A-Whirl. You say, you don't like it? Uh, That's what I liked about it. It made people sick. And you know, (laughs) for a boy, that was fun to watch, man. I love the Tilt-A-Whirl. But when they got up to the Tilt-A-Whirl, he said, there, he counted out the tickets. Uh, tore him off one two three four and he looked down there was another boy standing there with the ticket out he said I'd never seen that boy before in my life but he said my son told me he said son dad that's a friend he's okay I told him you'd give him a ticket I said for a moment I thought about it you know that ticket probably cost me a quarter and I don't know this boy from 
They said it was just a thought, just that quick. Because he was already tearing the ticket off. My boy had promised his friend a ticket. And there was no way in the world I was going to turn him down and make my boy look bad. I gave him a ticket. He rode the tilt of war. And then he followed us around the rest of the night. He said, I gave you tickets all night. He said, I was just hoping he didn't end up bringing a dozen more friends and I'd have to buy another roll of tickets. He didn't. Uh, that's a small illustration, but I've always enjoyed it. Because in a small way, it illustrates the fact that you and I have access to God because of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And who promises us not only that God would be accessible, but that God would be available to us. And it is totally by grace. It is not due to anything meritorious on our part. We did not earn the right to be there. It is not granted to us on the basis of who we are. We have access into the presence of Almighty God and He is available to us. Completely, 100%, because of what His Son, Jesus Christ, has done. And because we have believed on Him, it is by grace. It is through faith. We think about that all the billions of people on this planet. Only God knows how many of them are truly His children. All of them have the same access. All of them have the same promise of availability. It is a tribute to the greatness of our God that we never have to stand in line to get in to see Him. Because He can give me full access and availability... And he can give you free access and availability. And he can do that at the same time to who knows how many millions of people on this planet. That's how great our God is. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. But to his children... His eyes and ears are open. Our access to God is free to us. But it was not free. It comes at a tremendous price. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. We have access to God... God is available to us completely by grace, free to us, but at a great price through the death of Jesus Christ. So we have access, and God is available. The last thing we'll talk about tonight is that God is also approachable. Approachable. It's one thing to have access. It's another thing for God to be available but when we get into his presence and we ask for his attention, is God going to say, what do you want? What are you doing here? Is he going to be like the Wizard of Oz, you know, saying, who do you think you are? Coming to me with something like that. Is that the way God is? No, no. God is approachable. God is approachable.
meaning that we can talk to him about whatever is on our mind. We can speak to God. We can talk to him about anything. We know that because he tells us we can. Be careful. That means don't worry about anything, but in everything, in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He doesn't mark prayer off. He doesn't mark his access off. He doesn't mark his availability to us off and say this can only be for official use only. If you've got a real burden about church or if you've got a real burden uh, about, you don't understand something about the Bible, you've got a real burden for somebody who needs to be saved, yeah, you can talk to me about that. Now, God is interested in all the details of our life. If they're big enough for us to worry about and be concerned about, they're big enough for us to talk to God about. And it's good for us to know then that God is approachable. Sometimes we talk to people, friends, about our problems. And sometimes their response is, you think you got a problem? You ever found that one? Let me tell you about a real problem. Hey, I've got real, you know, I wouldn't. You don't have a problem. God is approachable. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. I'm not making this up. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all point tempted as we are, as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You know, boldly refers to freedom of speech, to speak freely. Uh, let me come boldly under the throne of grace, speaking freely. God enjoys our time spent together. He has unlimited resources available to you and I. So what's troubling you today? Take it to God. Are there burdens in your heart, needs in your life? Are there concerns which are weighing you down? Take them to God. Take them to God. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God, Jesus intercedes for you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. When John speaks to us of our advocate, he is speaking of the one who Jesus called the comforter in John chapter 14, 16, uh, or 15 and 16. We have a comforter, an advocate, who is with the Father. We have the comforter that is with us. That is the Holy Spirit. But there is the another comforter that John describes in 1 John. The one who is with the Father. And he is making intercession for you and for me. We have constant need for that. We have constant need for mercy. We have constant need for the grace of God that will help us in time of need. So if we're carrying a burden around tonight, it is not because we have to be carrying it. <laughs> it's because we have chosen to carry it instead of taking it to the Lord Jesus and letting Him carry it for us. We have access. God is accessible, and He is available, and He is approachable with whatever is on our heart.
And that is given to us tonight because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. And we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, having said all this tonight, it is also responsible of me, it would be responsible of me to remind you that in a way, we can identify with the Jewish experience. There's no holy of holies in this church. Uh, not even the pastor's office, let me assure you, that is not... That is not a holy of holies. It's not. Uh, but none of us have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. Not one of us have seen heaven. Not one of us have seen the throne of God. Not one of us. I mean, the Bible talks about how we have this glorious access. But you know, we've still got a problem. And that problem is spoken very clearly for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This old veil of flesh is still here. We can't enter into the presence of God in this sinful flesh. The visits that we make there to him are spiritually. We make them by prayer. And we make them tonight by faith. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I was burdened this week. I saw an interview. Some of you may have seen it as well. Uh, with a young woman uh, who was talking about how that, uh, they'd ask her about her religious beliefs or whatever. And she said this. I, I can quote it directly because it just burned its way into my mind. She said, the definition of faith is believing something without any evidence. And this is what she said. She said, you'd have to be an idiot to believe in something without any evidence. And I'm not an idiot. So I'm not a believer. That's what she said. You'd have to be an idiot to believe in something without evidence. I wish I could sit down with that young lady. I never had that chance this side of heaven unless I, you know, God might arrange that meeting someday. I wish I could because if I did, I would tell her that faith is not defined as believing in something without evidence. That's a completely erroneous definition of faith. Faith is defined like this. Now, faith is the evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, the world operates under a simple principle. Seeing is believing. But faith operates exactly opposite. It is believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing. But believing is seeing. Faith is the evidence. The fact is, there is evidence everywhere that God is real. There is evidence everywhere. <laughs> but you don't see it unless you believe on Him. 
There's a poet, I believe Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and I'm pulling this up, but I think about it a lot. I believe it was, it was she who wrote how that, uh, uh, I, I don't remember all the poem, but she said something about every, every bush is ablaze with God. And, and uh, you know, in springtime, they are, they all are. They come just blooming out of the evidence of God. She said that, uh, that it's only through the eyes of faith that we see it, and everybody else just picks blackberries. You know, I just, and I, I understand that. There's a lot of people go through the world just picking blackberries. They never see, they never see the evidence that a simple blackberry bush gives of the glory of God. But it does. If you're an outdoorsman, you've ever been out deer hunting, or maybe you're a hay farmer and you've had to go walking through a grown-up hay field, then you know that blackberry bushes can cut you to shreds. I mean, they'll eat you up. And they usually have two other things that go along with them. Chiggers is number one. <laughs> and copperheads. Be careful and look for snakes. My mama taught me that as a very young fellow. I think, uh, I think that blackberries then also give us evidence not only of God's existence, but also of the fall. <laughs> if, if, if it hadn't been for the fall, it wouldn't have thorns and, and they wouldn't, sure wouldn't have chiggers. I'm not sure how that all works out theologically. That's just a little personal belief of mine. Folks, believing is seeing. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And our access to God then is by faith. But that doesn't mean it's not real. It is real. It doesn't mean it's not true. It is true. It does mean that it's available only to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Maybe you've received Christ as your Savior, but you just didn't know. You didn't know that God is accessible and God is available and, we, and that God is approachable. We can talk to Him about anything. But I hope tonight you all know a little bit better and you'll take advantage of that opportunity. Sit down and have a talk with the one who made the worlds because he is available. His ears are open. His eyes are watching you. He's available. Let's stand together, please.